shopping carts are a symbol to me of a, a societal problem. And the symbol is, is that we are willing to disregard others for our own convenience. And we will leave our shopping cart wherever in the, in the parking lot. And the crazier it is, is the closer to the stall that people leave it and how hard people work to not put it back in the stall. And thank you so much for listening in. I am Roberta, the illustrator behind Happy Impulse, and this is Happy Impulse Unfiltered, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the bullshit happening in our society and I create art about it. Because the more we talk about this shit, these issues, the more we can change and better the world around us. So, welcome to Happy Impulse Unfiltered, and as always, thank you for giving a fuck. I'm super stoked, and I want to welcome Jesse Barney to the podcast. He's a badass designer in the cannabis industry and a fellow podcaster. Well, hi, Jesse. Thanks so much for hanging out. I'm happy you're here. Thank you for having me. It's a joy to be here. So before we dive deeper, can you briefly tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes, I can. My name is Jesse Barney. I'm a brand designer and graphic designer, mainly in the world of cannabis, and have been doing so for almost 10 years, specifically in that industry. I just love making shit all the time. I got four kids. I'm divorced at this point, and uh, it's been a rough ride the last three years post-divorce, but I'm getting through it one day at a time trying to build back up and and be the best dude I can be in this planet. So would you consider cannabis kind of your specialty in that you're designing for it all the time? Yeah. I think it translates more to more than cannabis because it's fundamentally more of an emergent industry in the sense that it's new and it's difficult to educate people about. It could be there's a lot of industries that are on the fringe that relate in a lot of ways to cannabis, but yes, definitely. Well, what would you tell people who don't live on the fringe about cannabis? Well, the number one thing I would say is don't be afraid of it. Get educated, learn about it, understand it. Cannabis is one of those things that the governments of the world have spent about a hundred years now completely misinforming the public about what it is and how it works knowingly and on purpose. So it takes quite a bit of work to educate yourself beyond the mainstream. Even now the, the legal language, a lot of the things that are said are just, there's a lot of myths and false impressions about what's going on that are not true. 
Well, since you brought up myths, what's one myth that you'd like to point out and say, hey, that's bullshit? A myth about cannabis that's bullshit. One of the big ones that's out there in the world is that it can cause you to be crazy. There's a myth that if you take a high dose of THC, this especially exists in the UK, but also around other places, and you see it repeated in the news occasionally, like you can take some high dose of THC and be at risk for going crazy. That's not true. What is true is that if you have a propensity already for being schizophrenic or or psychotic in some way, then any drug or any substance that you take, which could include sugar or caffeine, uh, alcohol, cannabis, LSD, even other weird uh, other foods, some foods can tip people over into new psychosis states. That is possible. So if someone has a history of mental, serious mental illness like schizophrenia in their family and it's happened before, I wouldn't want to just smoke weed. I wouldn't want to just drink coffee for the first time. I would be very aware of every substance that I introduce into my life. But those are the, the problem with that is, is it, what happens is the media likes to explode those stories and make them seem like they're common when they're extremely rare. So basically it's to not be afraid and to actually get educated, know yourself and know as much about the plant as you So Jesse, you're currently in an area where weed is of course legalized. Mm -hmm. How does it affect the economy in your area? I know that sounds like a really crazy question. Massively. I mean, especially in the last year and a half from on the West coast. And when cannabis was declared in the States that it's legal to be essential, it was kind of like, the whole thing flipped on its head. Like we'd been fighting for a little bit of visibility, even in the states that we were legal in. And then all of a sudden, those same states we were fighting against, all of a sudden were telling people that we were essential and that we had to stay open. We were one of the few industries that did. So yeah, massively a part of the economy now. What other misconceptions about weed have you kind of experienced as a designer? Ah, uh, man. Sometimes it's just like a sea of things. The biggest misconception is that it's all about THC, I think. And that's even internal in the industry. I would say even especially internal in the industry. People who are new to the industry or are building a new business, they generally are focused on THC or CBD. Would you, just for the uninitiated, would you mind explaining kind of the differences between the two? Yeah, okay. So for the uninitiated... THC has been uh, identified in the 60s by a famous scientist, Ralph Meshulam, who's from Israel. And it was identified as the intoxicant, and I'm using quotes with my fingers, the intoxicant in the plant. And uh, it's been the most studied compound in the plant for since the 60s, so 60 years now. And because of that, we've put our focus on it and from the 60s, 70s, 80s, people who were growing it were constantly trying to grow cannabis that was higher and higher THC that got you, quote unquote, higher and higher. And there was this peak of that craze probably in the last 20 years, definitely within the last 10, and it's still happening. 
where people are so focused on that that they're literally trying to get a plant that will create 30% THC in the plant matter, which is just astronomical that a plant would create one compound and 30% of the plant matter would be that compound. It's just kind of a, an agricultural phenomenon that's beyond comprehension almost in other, any other way. But cannabis farmers figured out how to do it. So we have these really high THC strains. And then, of course, we discovered CBD, and then we discovered other cannabinoids. The, those two were kind of the first to be known because the plant produces the most of them, and they seem to have the most effect. However, recent science and understanding of the plant is that it's still kind of a small part. And the way that people have said it is that if THC is like the gas pedal on the vehicle of quote-unquote getting high, then terpenes and the other cannabinoids are like the steering wheel. So while THC might control the, the level at which you get somewhere, the terpenes, which are the, the things you smell in the plant, the things that make it smell good, and the other cannabinoids that are present, those are the ones that make you feel either relaxed or maybe elated or euphoric or uh, super focused and tune everything else out and just draw for three hours. It's likely that it's these other compounds in the plant that are really doing the directing of where it's going. And so that misconception that you know, I'm going to go into a dispensary and I want to buy the highest percentage THC thing because I want to get high. That's like a popular culture misconception that's just not really true. You could get something that has half the THC, which means it's going to have a bunch of different compounds in it, their place or in its place. And you're going to actually maybe have a dramatically different effect or what you're looking for as opposed to just high THC. So what are the different effects of the different strands of THC? I know I'm asking well, like a really hard question. <laughs> the different kinds of THC? Go for it, yeah. So there's two kinds of THC. There's the raw acid form of the THC, which is THCA, which is what's present in the plant when it's fresh, when it's raw. If you grow a plant and it has a flower and you cut that flower off and you eat it, you're just going to get a ton of THCA. That THCA is actually massively anti-inflammatory and non-intoxicating. So it's incredibly healthy for us to eat fresh cannabis that way and it's not intoxicating at all. That's another misconception, by the way, that's uh, common. So you can just eat the flower and you get high. It would never happen. You might feel it a little bit, but you won't get quote-unquote high like people think. So it's mostly like a painkiller. It would maybe not take away your pain, but it would reduce swelling a bit, which might take away pain. It's more of a long-term thing. If you ate fresh cannabis every day over the course of months, your body would more and more get less and less inflamed. If you had any inflammation problems, it would really help. So eating raw cannabis is one of the healthiest things that a human can be, being can do for their body. But uh, now I forget the original question. <laughs> I was asking about the different strands. Oh, okay, so THC, that's THCA. Now, if you take THCA and you heat it up uh, to 220 degrees or higher, between 220 and 400 degrees for, depending on what temperature 
like at 220, you'd have to keep it at that temperature, I think, for 30 seconds to a minute. And then the THCA decarboxylates, which means it converts from uh, THCA into THC. Now, when that happens, now you can get high because it lost the acid part of the isomer and now it's become THC and the THC is the compound that actually makes us feel elevated. So recently what I've kind of been seeing out in the world is everyone has been obsessed with CBD. There are CBD oils, there's hand creams, there's probably even shampoo. I would not be surprised. What are your thoughts on this? To be frank, most of it's junk. Most of it is poorly grown hemp in in an experimental area, and it's poorly processed, and they use the most extreme... They, they isolate the CBD, and CBD isolate isn't super easy for you to just ingest and process and intake itself. So again, that a lot of it, it's kind of like the classic vitamin problem where most vitamins that you take, your body actually has a hard time processing and absorbing. Same thing with CBD. Really high quality CBD that's processed well and grown from, uh, made from really good product is really expensive. So if you're buying cheap CBD, there's a reason it's cheap. CBD that's really good is usually astronomically more expensive than most of it. See, I was about to ask you, how could you how can you tell the differences as a consumer? And you're like, price. Well, and but that's not the only way because there's other companies who've been like, well, since they charge ten times more than other people, so can we and we'll make a shitty product. And but have a good brand, right? And then you have the problem of like good branding gets sales and people get deceived by that and they and they don't necessarily know that just because it's meeting those criteria, the product's not actually as good. And because, there's, again, there's so much miseducation and misinformation out there, it's hard to be an educated consumer. It's not easy. It's very difficult. I mean, even if you're an expert, it's diff- still difficult. Well, what are some tips that you could give for someone to be a little bit more educated as a consumer? Say my aunt was having trouble sleeping, and her book club friend said, hey... Try the CBD stuff. It really worked for my husband. Because that's kind of what's happening in rural areas. It's people like in book clubs or people like on the little fringe area are like, hey, try CBD. It kind of works great for these things for maybe like not what it's traditionally been used for, but now like oils and different things like that. So how would you go about educating those type of consumers? The challenges that you have to be your own guinea pig because it's too easy for someone to sell you a line of BS. So you kind of have to be willing to just try a product and be really discriminate about what or discerning about what's happening to you and whether or not the effect is there. And you have to be willing to take the gamble and spend the money sometimes and go, I'm not sure this is working or this is definitely changing something. Because I feel like sometimes what happens with products like that is 
maybe the first time someone tries something that's CBD and it really works, they're like, oh, CBD is great. But another person will try and say, oh, well, nothing happened from a different product line. And therefore they're like, oh, well, CBD is shit. It's all make-believe. Like, don't listen to it. And so then it hurts like the whole market. Yeah. And that's something that we have a hard time overcoming because the only thing that we can say in the industry is you've just got to keep trying products. Well, first of all, you have to know that whatever ailment or thing you're trying to aid or help, you have to know that the product that you're trying to use is actually supposed to really work. And then on top of that, you have to be willing to possibly go through several different brands and, and companies and even different types of products within one company to find one that works for you. One of the things that is hard to understand is that we literally have a system in our body that is very well designed to interface directly with all of the compounds from this plant, unlike any other plant on the planet so far that we've found. And, and as far as we can tell, all these compounds sort of act like a switching system in our body, like turning things on and off or up or down. So in that sense, it's a lot of experimentation about finding out which plant product is doing what in your own body because everyone's endocannabinoid system is unique, just like everyone's health is unique. You know, you could not possibly tell me that I need to follow the same health guidelines as you. You're a female. You have your own stuff going on and vice versa. And even from female to female or male to male, we all have our own unique things. Same with the endocannabinoid system, and even more dramatic. So the willingness to be your own guinea pig, as I said, is, is first and foremost. And then you have to have kind of that level of understanding that and then understanding you've got to go through these processes. You might have some negative reactions. That's possible. Um, if you take a product that is made poorly, maybe they made an accident and there's more stuff in it than you expect or less you could have, or maybe they made it with some, maybe the grower put a path pesticide on it and it made it through testing and you got some crap on your skin that you shouldn't and you get a rash it sucks, but that's possible. What are resources that you can give to like anyone so they can do further reading? Oh, The first book anyone should have, if you don't really know about cannabis, is The Emperor Wears No Clothes by Jack Herrer. Every human being on earth should have that book. It's one of the most important books of our time. Jack Herrer was a legend who was ahead of his time, and he started doing research on cannabis in the 60s. Pretty much everything that we know about the history of cannabis in the modern day is because of Jack and because of that book. So The Emperor Wears No Clothes by Jack Herrer is indispensable. That's the... If, if you don't know that book, that's it. Like <laughs> you, you have to read that first. So I know that we've been talking a lot about cannabis, but I know you also want to talk about shopping carts because you have a really interesting theory about shopping carts. It's not just my theory, by the way. There's actually a TED Talk on this by a woman. Uh, Her name is Karen McNenny, M-C-N-E-N-N-Y. She did a TEDx in Montana, 
and she did a 20 minutes on shopping carts. And it was amazing because I went to that TEDx and she spoke and I already had this theory in my brain, not a theory, this concept in my brain. And when she gave her speech, I was like, oh my God, this is it. Shopping carts are a symbol to me of a, a societal problem. And the symbol is, is that we are willing to disregard others for our own convenience. And we will leave our shopping cart wherever in the, in the parking lot. And the crazier it is, is the closer to the stall that people leave it and how hard people work to not put it back in the stall. It correlates actually to cannabis in a way because it it's this it's like this willful disregard for what's right in front of us the ability to take responsibility for something that's right in front of us this is why we like you could go from the shopping cart to mass incarceration based on the war on drugs our population in America has sat by and watched as our government created the war on drugs and then proceeded to fill our prisons with uh, 80% black men and 75% of those black men are in jail for weed. Which is a nonviolent offense. It's a nonviolent offense and they're being put away for sometimes most of their life, oftentimes, and turned into deeper criminals Meanwhile, they're just literally selling weed or even sometimes not even selling it, just have it. I think um, some of the things that are so interesting about weed is that when we were all growing up, we probably had PSAs that like weed is a gateway drug or don't be that stoner or such and such. When really a lot of the people who are experimenting with weed in the first place are experimenting because... They don't have anyone to talk about their mental health problems and they want a solution that they can actually afford instead of going to therapy or going to the doctor because they wish they had the time, they wish they had the resources, but just even taking a few hours off from work, it costs them a lot more money and people put it off perpetually. So cannabis is usually seen, at least in my experience, as a way to cope with the problems in the world or the problems that are going on in their lives. And so all these people who are in jail, who have had weed and got arrested for it, are probably actually trying to solve their own mental health issues without going into debt over it. You yeah, solve some kind of issue. Sometimes it's just financial. Sometimes it's just, I need to make rent, so I'm going to buy a quarter pound of weed and break it into small bags and sell it to all my buddies for 10 times the price, right? Sometimes it's just that, and you're just trying to provide for your family, and it's a way to do it. And they're incarcerating massive amounts of people in America for this, mainly black men. They're just staggering difference. Meanwhile... The CIA is responsible for bringing the bulk of cocaine into the country and distributing it around. So there's these inequalities that we know are happening. They're, they've been proven and shown to be true. 
we as a population just sit by and let it happen. So that's, I'm trying to tie that back to this sort of me focused, well, as long as I'm having a good day and as long as I got my groceries and as long as I packed them in my car, then who gives a shit about whatever else happens after or before that? So then the question is, have you seen Portland, because that's where you're located right now currently, correct? Yes. Have you seen Portland, since it has become legal, or it has been legal for a while, have you seen them release individuals from jail now that it is legalized? I'm not super familiar, actually, with Oregon on that. I'm not sure where they're at in that process. I know that they're doing something. The ones who are definitely leading the way are California and Colorado. California being astronomically ahead of everybody else. They've almost released, I think they've almost released everybody who has a weed conviction. Um, And if they haven't almost done it, they've definitely legally declared that everyone is supposed to be released and there's some timeline behind it. A lot of this conversation we've been talking about educating. Yeah. Educating ourselves educating the people around us. So because this is going on, because if someone was looking for a cannabis designer, they would go to you for the most part. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm one of the central brand designers in the field. So how are you able to use that platform to be able to have these conversations in the first place? For me, it starts with my clients, honestly. And it starts with connecting deeply with the people who have been at the center of this movement for a long time. I've been fortunate to meet some very important people in the movement in the last several years. I was thankful to meet Dennis Perone before he died. Dennis Perone was one of the men, if not the man, who was kind of instrumental in California legalization in the first place with the medical laws that they did in the 90s. He wrote Proposition 215 with a group of other people. I was fortunate enough to meet him and all of the people that surrounded him and everyone who's been really central to the California, uh, the development of Californian cannabis in the last 30 years. And uh, because of California, we've affected the rest of the world. So What was the original question? (laughs) Remind me. I'm asking, because you are a designer who works primarily for cannabis companies. Yeah. How do you use that platform to inform people about examples of the incarceration rates? Like, how can we push the world to do better based off your, not your, but the shopping cart theory we were talking about earlier? Right. That's why I was saying about my clients. Okay. So I've been fortunate enough to meet those people. And, and the reason that's important is I've been able to learn a lot that's not readily accessible to just anyone. And even people who, like I said earlier, people who think they're experts, they often are misinformed still. So a lot of times it's like me working for another new client who may be newer in the industry and I have the opportunity because I've been in the industry for a long time to actually bring a level of education to their branding and their brand that they themselves don't have. So that's the first place that I use my platform is to be able to educate my clients at a higher level. Uh The second is, is that because of my 
involvement with many of these experts, I have a platform with a small group of people who are all trying to get more and more educated. And so in that way, I'm, I'm constantly trying to just bring people the education about simple things so that they understand how to do their own learning. Do you want to give me a few more examples of simple things that people could learn? I know I'm asking you to dive into education so much, but I feel like cannabis has such a big misconception, especially in the rural areas. From what I've witnessed, they listen to the media as the holy truth. I mean, if possible, grow it. If you live in a state where it's legal to grow it at home and you live in an area where you can grow it at home and your neighbors aren't going to be pissed off at you, um, grow one plant. I mean, at least grow one. Put it outside and see what happens and have the experiences that come with growing this annual plant because you sprout it from seed in the spring and you grow it all summer and then it's a flowering plant. It's an annual, so it flowers and then it's done. And you harvest it and there's a whole process to harvesting it and there's a whole process if you're going to smoke it or you're going to make edibles with it or anything like that. There's a whole bunch of processes to getting it into a final product that you might want to consume. And that process is probably the most educational process that any human being can go through. I, I even me, I, I learn more about weed by growing it than anything else. And another note to consumers, when you are finding like someone to buy from, what are the question, the right questions to ask? The things that I want to know are how was this grown? Which is a big topic. Primarily, I want to know if it was grown organically or not. If there were any chemicals or used at all. Even neem oil. And neem oil is not that bad, but it's still not great. It's an organic product, but you shouldn't be smoking a plant that has been ingesting neem oil. Because you're smoking that oil now. It's in the plant. One of the things about cannabis is that it's, uh, I forget what the word is. There's a technical word, but the cannabis plant absorbs a lot of stuff from the soil and it holds on to that stuff. So when you smoke cannabis or you eat it and it's, it's, you're eating whatever that plant has pulled up from the soil and it will pull a lot of the junk from the soil. Um, it's a clean, it's a soil cleaner is what it does. Like the cannabis plant will clean soil, which means that it's taking all the crap into it. So you have to be very mindful of how it was grown and how it was processed because it can, if it gets contaminated with something, then it's really contaminated. Is there a way that you can tell what's good weed, bad weed? I know I'm asking very difficult questions. <laughs> That's kind of like asking, is there a way that you can tell what's a good bottle of wine versus a bad bottle of wine? The response from an educated wine person is going to be, well, not you. <laughs> um, but with some education, if you, if you sat with a sommelier and had some classes and some introductions into the tannins and what they should smell and taste like and what you should expect from a Pinot versus uh, a Cabernet versus any other flavor of grape and where it's grown, you might get a, a Grenache from this part of France versus this part of Spain asking how would you tell the difference between a Grenache from Spain and a Grenache from, from uh, France? 
well, you'd have to drink them both next to each other first, which means you got to get in a room where those two wines exist already, or you got to order those two wines. And then it would be best if you do that with someone who already knows, who can explain to you the nuances and, and the things you should be looking for so that you can detect them and know that you detected them so that the next time you do it on your own, that you have that kind of base level of knowledge. So it's not an easy answer. The, the answer really is, is like, again, you have to go back to, you have to be willing to experiment, to taste, to smell. You have to be very kind of in, a, in an aficionado sort of a mindset of like, I'm diving through this and it's a lifelong process. It's not just like you do it. So what I'm hearing from you is kind of, don't just buy weed on your own for the most part. Go with someone who has more education than yourself because they can probably yes. give you a little bit more information. So before we started recording, we were talking about hash. Now, you said that if weed was just lying around in a container, it wouldn't be as potent. Like it, the effects would wear off after so many days. Yes. So Depending on the environment. So if it if weed is laying out in the sun and it's raw and it's out in the sun, say it goes bad in 40 days or something, or you can probably give me a better number than that. I mean, if you left it in a clear jar and put it in a windowsill where the sun hit it every day and left that jar open where the air also was hitting it every day, it'd be a matter of days, a week, couple weeks before it'd be come really not good because what i'm saying is it's possible for the kids out there who want to experiment that they might get weed that is actually old mm -hmm. or they might have a bad experience because it's old so they might think oh it doesn't work for me that first time and then the second time they try it with someone else they have a very different experience because they are like, oh, well, I should probably smoke it a little bit longer because the first time didn't affect me. So I'm trying to kind of get advice based off that, based off the first time people who are like wary of weed based off the hypocrisy of our world, <laughs> because weed isn't a gateway drug. Um, that's a huge myth out there. People say, or there've been PSAs that I've, I've experienced in the 90s where they're like, don't do weed, gateway drug. And people are like lying on the couch for hours when really a lot of people who do weed only do weed. Well, and now, I mean, the news stories that come out now are that people are using weed to get off opiates. So it's an exit drug. I actually like that story better. <laughs> I, I think that should be a new headline. It's the exit drug. It is. It's, it's very often people will use it. Alcoholics will use it to stop drinking. People who are um, opiate addicts will use it, not because it replaces the high at all, but because it's something that makes them feel calm and relaxed and help them deal with the anxiety of wanting, of wanting their, their addiction all the time. So back to the education point, there's different strains that have different effects and everyone's going to feel something different, of course. So there's sativa. Mm -hmm. Sativa and indica. Yes. If you were to tell someone new what strain they would buy and what they were going for, so say someone said, I have anxiety, what would you recommend them to look into? If someone said that they have anxiety and they want cannabis that uh, helps them alleviate with uh, uh, their anxiety, what I would tell them is, is that they need to find a strain 
or a cult of art, we shouldn't really use the word strain because it's not accurate. It's not a bot, bot uh, term. My apologies. But they, it's my, we all do it. It's endemic. But it's difficult. What I would say is you want a mellow strain. You want something that's going to calm you down. You want something that's definitely not going to be uh, making you feel excited or elevated. You want something that's going to be, be more mellowing. And there are specific cultivars or varietals that definitely are better for that. The best way to think of it is like aromatherapy. So like we know that oranges are um, something that make us excited. Like if you smell a bunch of oranges, they'll make you, they'll give you energy, right? We know that that aromatherapy of those terpenes that come off of oranges, it's limonene. And that limonene gives us energy. Limonene literally makes us feel energetic. So if you have anxiety, don't smoke a strain that smells like oranges or lemons or lime because that terpene is probably going to make you feel more excited and maybe your heart racing and things like that. Rather, try to smell for things that are smell like they would mellow you down, Right. Like, try to find a, some weed that smells like a calming fruit or with some maybe wine tannin kind of flavors in there. Don't smoke something that's like a lot of gas. Like, if you smell a lot of gasoline or diesel or kind of fuely sort of terpenes, those will definitely, they're going to make you feel anxious. So avoid that stuff. Don't buy mystery weed off the street or from the legacy market. Go to a regulated shop. That's first and foremost. A lot of times you can get more anxiety because something was grown bad and it actually has chemicals in it and you're not getting the anxiety from the weed. It's from the shit that the weed has in it from the growing process. So that's kind of the general thing. I mean, use your nose. Use your own nose. And trust yourself. Like, does that smell like it will calm you down? If you're already smelling the bag and going... Oh, that makes me feel calm and nice. You're on the right track. So kind of what I'm hearing from you is don't be afraid to ask the questions because I feel like a lot of people, even when they're going to the doctor, they're afraid to actually talk about what's going on with them. Yeah. No, you're 100% right. It, you do have to overcome the fear of being able to talk about whatever may be bothering you whether it's an, a body pain or a mental pain, uh, you do at least have to be able to get kind of to the root of what it is and be able to explain that. The other thing is, is that you do want somebody to ask that at least has a modicum of knowledge that can point you in the right direction, who's not going to just steer you off into la-la land, which is a lot of times what happens. And then people have a bad experience which is the worst thing ever, because if you have a bad experience from weed, you might never try it again. And if you have a great experience, then you're likely to, to repeat that experience. One of the things that people often do is eat an edible that's too strong. And then they end up having a horrendous experience because eating an edible, your body processes weed really slow when you eat edibles. So you could be in a four, five, six, sometimes upwards of an eight hour experience that just feels like it's never going to end and you're too high and it's, it's not fun. I've been there too, um, even as a pro user and, and been in a place where I'm like, I, I didn't want this to happen. So 
Another question then is what kind of guardrails would you set up for yourself if someone was to try weed for the first time? Because you said something interesting that if you were eating an edible, it was too strong. It la- it felt like it lasted for eight hours. It can last that long. Literally, you can be in kind of in the fetal position for eight hours if you overdose. And overdose, you can't kill yourself, but you can make yourself want to die. and being in that state for eight hours is no fun there's plenty of blogs out there you can read them all day it's no fun so guardrail if you're going to try an edible the first thing is start super low if you're going to ask if you're going to buy something tell them you want a micro dose and they'll know what you mean and a micro dose means 2.5 milligrams of thc no more than five. Never, if it's your first time, never eat more than five milligrams of THC your first time, ever. You should start with 2.5. 2.5 milligrams of THC should be your first edible experience. Same thing with smoking. Don't just go to a party. Here's one thing to avoid. Don't just go to a public place like a party or something and smoke off a joint randomly after you've had three beers or something. Like, that's dumb. You, you're likely to throw up or, or you suddenly feel too high amongst your friends and uncomfortable and now you're leaving and you can't get in the car because you're too high. And that's just a bad experience. Like, plan it. Um, if you're going to smoke weed for the first time, be in a very comfortable setting with tea and with water and with people that you love and you can tell I'm freaking out right now and you don't have to feel like you're in a bad place or you got to get somewhere to be comfortable. I avoid that at all costs. And then just take a little bit first. Let it sit for a while. If you're smoking, sit for an hour and really be mindful of the experience you're going through and what it's like. And is it too much? then smoking might not be for you. Maybe, and maybe even that much weed at all might not be for you. Maybe you need to experience weed in a topical way or in an edible way where it's not decarboxylated and it's not going to intoxicate you. So there's a lot to it. And just avoid diving into the deep end unless you really have a strong mental constitution. Even then, let's just put a warning. Just don't dive into it. <laughs> even then, man, even then, I've, I have a great mental constitution, and I've been in places where I've been overdosed on THC and been like, I really wish I hadn't have done this, and now I'm too high to deal like properly or feel like I can. Maybe it's all just anxiety, and it's not even real. Maybe I'm fine, but it feels really intense. So could you give any insights or words of encouragement to those who've had bad experiences with or who kind of feel ashamed when they even say that, like, oh, I smoke weed? Oh, the stigma? hmm Yeah. Um, stop being ashamed. <laughs> it's not as easy. <laughs> There's nothing to be ashamed of. You know, I, 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 I say that that way because... That's the way it kind of hit me in the face. Somebody said that to me one day and it struck me because at the time I had four fairly young kids. My oldest was probably like seven at the time and my youngest was barely one. And as a cannabis user, I had been hiding 
my cannabis use. I had been hiding, you know, me smoking a pipe or a joint. I would, you know, go for a walk or, you know, go hide on the side of the house or whatever and smoke a joint. And somebody said, stop being ashamed, like stop being ashamed. If your kids may be seeing you smoke weed, you should be normalizing it. Um, not in the sense that you're wanting them to smoke it, but in the sense that you want them to know what it is. And then you want to have frank conversations about why, why you smoke it and, and all of that. So in that sense, there's no better way than to just rip off the Band-Aid, honestly. There's no better way than to sit down with the person that you're afraid of, whether it's your kid or your spouse or your parent, and just say, hey, I got to talk to you about this. And I'm not going to hide it anymore. I'm not going to pretend like I need this to be hidden in order to be loved. And look, if you do, if at the end of that conversation, you still feel like you need to hide it to be loved, then there's a deeper question of the value of that relationship, right? And how, and how you're operating in that relationship. That goes to more deeper therapy, which can lead to other things. But I think that that's where cannabis actually can be a catalyst for some really good stuff. It's not beyond even the plant itself. It's in our ability to have a hard conversation and try to sit, tell someone, you know, and eventually I told my kids, my kids know more about weed than almost anybody. And, and, you know, they're not interested in it. They don't care. They're in their teens right now. But that's because you weren't hiding it. Because I didn't. Yeah. I chose not to, I chose to stop being ashamed, stop hiding it and just be real open and, and just, be myself. Well, Jesse, as we wrap up, what are your future plans? My future plans? Yeah. Right now, <laughs> my future plans are, here's what I'm, I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get some land. I would like to have a little bit of, of property where I could have my home office I could grow the garden and the plants that I need for my own health and my family's health where I don't need to commute or drive to work because I do my work from home and be very rooted in my own space where if push came to shove, I could fully self-sustain in that place not only sustain, but even be regenerative and create more food and more uh, love than I can consume myself. Well, I already know your love for hemp products. So I'm sure that you're going to be working on a few things for that as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, hemp is really where the real game changer is. Hemp is, cannabis is the tip of the spear, but hemp is the thing that I can actually, I'm looking at a thing right here in front of me, uh, the things you can make out of hemp seeds and hemp stocks, uh, food, flowers, bakery products, personal care products, makeups, cooking oils. You can make fuels out of it. You can make paints out of it. Uh, you can make beer out of it. You can make animal feed out of it. You can make hempcrete. You can make uh, fiber boards, which means you could basically build an entire home including the paint and all the plastics that you would need for the home out of hemp. And hemp is the most regenerative plant on the planet that we know of. You can, uh, in the same 
acre of hemp or of trees that take 20 years to grow, you can produce the same amount of cellulose and fiber out of that same acre in four months with hemp. And it cleans the soil and regenerates everything about its environment as you grow it. So listeners, if you haven't already gathered, Jesse wants a more sustainable world, as do we all. Which is why I've worked in cannabis for the last 20 years and why I've loved it since (laughs) I was a teen. Well, where can we find you on the web to see what you've been working on for the past 20 years or so? Well, you can always find me at barneydesign.co or at barneydesignco anywhere or at the Jesse Barney. Also, if you want to look at my personal rantings and get into the thick of it with me. On my business stuff, I tend to be a little more professional and show my art and show my clients stuff and talk about branding and talk very just kind of about that stuff. But then uh, on my personal side, I take a little bit more of an activist and advocate approach. Well, Jesse, thanks for hanging out. Thank you. It's been amazing. And we didn't even end up really talking about shopping carts. We talked about weed the whole time. Which I think everyone really needs an education on. It's true. It is true. It's more, it's more important. Both are important, but that always means we can always have another conversation at a later date about shopping carts. Oh, if you just follow me personally, eventually you're going to see me uh, a rant of me as some kind of Instagram live or story of me r- running through a parking lot, putting other people's shopping carts away and talking about uh, the principle of not being entitled and actually caring about the people around us and the things that are going on. So if you want to show Jesse some love, just take some shopping carts being put away. He'll really enjoy it. Nothing better. Thanks again for listening in. If you liked this episode, it'd be awesome if you took the time to subscribe. And if you want to send me your thoughts to continue the conversation, email me at info at happyimpulse.com. You can also find me on Instagram at happyimpulse. And as always... Thank you for giving a fuck.